Hello everyone and welcome to Boothcast. Boothcast today is brought to you by Vicobi Ocean Performance. Now, if you haven't heard of Vicobi, they have the best on-water technical apparel for all paddlers. So if you want to find out more, please check out Vicobi.com. They even have a Booth Times Vicobi range, which has really been really awesome to create. So if you want to find out more, check out their website. Now I'm going to throw you over to my interview with Swedish Olympic kayaker, Anders Gustafsson. Hello and welcome to Boothcast. On Boothcast, I speak to people about sport, business and the winning mindset. Today's guest is coming to me all the way from Florida. He's originally from Sweden. He is a four-time Olympian. He's an America's Cup sailor competing in his second America's Cup, hopefully at the end of the year. He is a, a, a coach for Canoe Kayak and he has done so many different things throughout his career. He's a fantastic bloke. Anders Gustafsson, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Boothie. It's uh, been great to follow you, and I'm I'm looking forward to chat with you as a friend, but also to to be part of your Boothcast series. Yeah, it's been amazing to be able to reconnect with so many people that I probably haven't spoken to for a long time, and even yourself. I remember about probably last time we probably spoke properly was maybe back in 2015, except for a few texts here and there on Instagram. But um, it's been amazing following your journey as well. Obviously, moving out of kayaks into coaching and now into America's Cup, it's been a amazing journey and now you've got a young family you're married like all these amazing moments have happened since i last saw you but it's been awesome to follow your journey as well but um just to start off can you give the listeners a bit of a snapshot of who anders Gustafsson is where he's from how old he is and, and what he does yeah no <laughs> yeah no i i feel pretty old today actually i wake <laughs> up more and more sore every day because I, I like you said i'm still competing so so that's that's a bit weird but um, like you said, I grew up in Sweden and, uh, and uh, paddling is, is my real sport, I guess. But even though I'm sailing at the moment and uh, paddling is where I'm coaching as well. So, um, yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know what to begin. Like, I, I guess I have a passion for water and that's what, what gets me going all the time. And that's where I find myself uh, every day. And that's what I, what I search for. And that's what... That's why I'm sailing right now, and that's why I kept paddling from from I was seven years old, and uh, yeah, here I am. I paddled this morning, so you know it's 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 something that hasn't hasn't stopped, you know. And um, like you said, I'm I'm married uh, and have a two and a half year old daughter, Clara, and my family's with me here in Florida right now, and we're we're sort of stuck just waiting for for uh, the world. The, well, for the pandemic to calm down and for us to to move down to Auckland and get really get into the final phase of this America's Cup campaign, where you know development never stops, but we need to sail as well. So that's what we're sort of stuck here waiting for. Yeah. So you started paddling from a young age. Um, you were really involved. You were with your first love, I guess, in the ocean or in the water. Um, was it a was it a big deal paddling in Sweden, or was it something that lots of kids did, or was it just something that you really enjoyed doing? And, and where were you doing it when you were growing up? Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say it's a it's it's definitely not a big sport. It's 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 like it's a sport that people know about, but it's not it's not definitely not a major sport. And it was a coincidence that I started. My parents are sailors, so they they were racing sailboats, and that's how they met. But uh, they wanted me to start in the sailing academy or sailing summer school, but that, that was full. So my sister and I went down to the canoe club and uh, I guess that's where we met, the, met friends that summer and, and came back the summer after. So 
obviously Sweden being very very cold in in the winter time it's not it's a pretty tough sport when you're a kid so you have to do other stuff as well but uh, uh, yeah so it's a it's pretty funny how that worked out it turned out to be a lifelong sport and passion from from a total coincidence yeah I read that just before we came on that you were going to be in a sailing school like your parents and then you had the you had the, the the incidents where the sailing club was full and you had to go over the kayak and that's basically where your love and your passion started. Were you sailing as a kid as well or was there a sport that you did during the winter months that sort of pushed you through into the summer again where you started paddling? No, not really. Like, uh, I just, you know, I did built a little boat together with my dad in the garage and we were just sort of like cruised around. It was, it was more like summer holidays on, on the sailboat with my grandpa and my, and my parents. Uh, Swedish summer is about two weeks long, so you gotta gotta really time it. <laughs> uh, but it, they are the two best weeks of the year, though. When when you nail it, it's it's really good. But but uh, most of the time, it's uh, my dad used to say it was like ripping hundred dollar bills in the in the cold shower. That's how sailing is in Sweden. Yeah, yeah, it's just a very very expensive sport, I'm sure. What was it like um, as a kid growing up in Sweden? Was it was there a lot of um, was there a lot of um, paddle sports going on? Was that something that you're really majorly focusing on or was it just part of like when you were going to school and you, and you just your general life? Like, or when did it start becoming serious for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Like um, it definitely wasn't serious in the beginning. Like you, you go to a summer, summer school and you just play, play around, but then sort of, around 15 years old, I guess, I started to set, set goals in sports. And, and I was definitely like, if, you, if I think back about it, I think I was serious. I don't know what that meant, but uh, as, a, as a kid, you think you're pretty serious, but you, what, what, what are you really doing? I don't know, I can't remember, but I, I remember at, at that time, that was my sport and that's what I wanted to do. And, and then I would say about, definitely when turn 19, 18, 19, and, and that's a, proper sport and that's what you do and and I was lucky enough to to get picked up by the Swedish Olympic community uh, who had like a talent search I guess and uh, and uh, a bunch of us got selected early so so that meant that we were allowed to well we were we got a lot of support and we could you know be more professional and, and train in a lot better way before 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 we were really we weren't good or anything but they saw the I don't know, you know, we went through the typical selection where we had to do, you know, like all these weird exercises that, that, that has nothing to do with paddling, but, but they sort of think that you could be good anyways and they trust you and, and that, yeah, like I said, that opened up a lot of opportunities to, because you need to, I think you need to spend a lot of time on the water to be good at paddling. So, so with the lakes frozen in the winter, I mean, it was an opportunity for us to travel. So that was, that was really helpful. And yes, I remember doing those type of testings for the Australian Institute and you had like your arm with your arm span versus your height. And then you had like the amount of chin-ups you could do, amount of push-ups you could do or something random like that. And it had nothing, as you yeah. say, to do with paddling. Yeah. But did, you, did you love fitness as well? Was that something that you were passionate about or was it just the love for the water that kept you going out there and, and getting and racing and, and competing? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a good question. It's a little bit weird. I don't know. I guess I, I like training but i like have being with my friends and being on the water more i suppose and then I, I wouldn't i wouldn't say that i'm overly competitive but 
but uh, I, I like to do complicated things and things that are hard and I like to try and figure that out. So uh, if you, if you look at my, my paddling results, my, my first individual medal came eight years after I first was on the national team. So, I mean, it, it took a while to, to sort of crack it, I'm not saying that it was bad before then, but, uh, but to to be really good took a long time to and, and it's like solving a hard hard problem and that's that's sort of what what drives me into sailing right now too because I remember the first America's Cup with Swedish Artemis Racing I I literally had a headache for the first six months because there was so much to learn and so much to to pick up on and 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 I think you know that that really puts you out of your comfort zone and I think that's good for you and something that I really like so yeah. I mean, you have to like training, but but I don't. I wouldn't say that I love to hurt myself <laughs> too much. <laughs> so, so you like feeling comfortable in the uncomfortable in a way. You like really pushing yourself, either mentally or physically, and actually sort of reaching towards goals. Would that be a fair assumption? Yeah, I would. I would sort of add that I get bored if I. It's not. Uh, if it's not uh, challenging or or you know stimulating in that way, and I think a lot of athletes are, are the same even though we do lots lots of repetitive things like taking millions of sub strokes or surf ski strokes or kayak strokes or whatever it is it's repetitive but doing it in the best possible way or trying to, to you know like we all no i i always say that no one has has it all like you 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 sure have some some good qualities but no one has all of it so it's sort of like putting those pieces together that you do have and compensate for those that you don't and then trying to to yeah win with with what you have is is a cool challenge. Yeah, you got to really look at your your weaknesses and trying to make them into your strengths and, and really bring everything up to that levels. I like to use the analogy of like two K on the NBA game on uh, PlayStation or Xbox or something like that, and they have the stat levels on the on the NBA players, and it's like okay, so which ones I'm weakest at? I got to bring that one up to sort of be a bit more level. And I guess in a way that's what you're saying. You're just trying to make sure that you're doing well across all facets of not only paddling, but your life. Um, coming through like the, the junior kayaking program, I guess, was, was it, who was that really influencing you to become a better paddler? Or was it mainly you, yourself pushing um, you? Or was there an influential coach that was sort of bringing you along? Like, or was it your family? Like, where, who was really helping you through that whole process to be, get into that national team? I think it was a good club environment. Uh, Sweden has strong reasonably strong kayak clubs and it's and it's all uh, volunteer based so you basically look up to the older athletes and friends in in the club and you're trying to be to be like them and be as, as good as them so if you're lucky to be surrounded by good role models which i think i was and and also good volunteer coaches that was around they they really helped us to inspire us to be to be better um i mean then and you you go to regattas and you look at the best people in your country and I think those those athletes were the ones that inspired me like the not not necessarily the best ones but maybe those ones that are two three years older than, than myself and then eventually the best ones in the country and the best ones in the world. We um, I remember uh, the first World Cup we ever went to me and my one of my friends 
we were watching the the best guys come down the course and we, we looked at each other and we thought we literally said to each other that's that that's impossible we can never be that good but, <laughs> but both of us kept kept trying and eventually we we were up up there with them but it's kind of a fun process looking at looking up to someone uh, that's the best of their field and, and recognizing how, how difficult that is and sort of this i guess we digested on that challenge and and, and took it on and made it made it our goal not that we not, not that we were there like saying outright that let's 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 do this we were more i guess swedish we're more humble and a little bit more reserved i guess we, we just realized how difficult it would be but we, we weren't scared we were we were willing to take it on but i mean it, it takes a while to get there sometimes yeah it's definitely just a process you have to go through i, I know I, I guess i looked at the same similar sort of things like looking up to idols and going oh they're just freaks of nature like you're never going to be able to beat them and i guess it was a common theme in a lot of these podcasts like even speaking to someone like um guy andrews the other day or Dan mercer looking up to these idols and he was like, oh they can never be those guys and then eventually sort of breaking down those words um breaking down those walls being consistent being persistent and actually getting towards these these new challenges because you start to get more confident when did you feel like you got more confident with your paddling where you went from I'm never going to be one of those guys to okay maybe I can actually mix it up with these guys like maybe I can make the final maybe I can go top six maybe I can actually win this race where was was mm. there a big breakthrough race or moment or year that you sort of went through where you went right okay right maybe I can be as good as these guys I'm sort of looking up to yeah yeah there was but I think I was lucky to like I said we we, we kept that group of guys that were around exactly my age or one or two years older and we uh, in in sprint kayaking you can go in in four in fours and pairs as you know and uh, and i was lucky to be part of a four-man group that was we made the olympics quite early we were three guys that were 21 years old and one was 31 years old so we could learn from him a little bit too or a lot from him actually but um but the breakthrough i would say was uh when we tried to qualify for our second Olympics with the same with the same crew, and we failed in in the qualifier, and I still had an individual race uh, that was I, I wouldn't call it a backup event, but but uh, my primary was my my four man with with the boys, and when we failed, I knew that if it was going to be an Olympics, I ha I had to do it on my own, and somehow I I pulled out the the race of my life in the in the semifinal there, and. Uh, I, I I remember we were talking about idols before, and there was a couple of those those guys uh, sitting there with lots of medals in their boats, and and clearly people that I looked up to that I had to beat because in kayaks at this level it's it used to be or it is still four semifinals and top two two goes through plus one best time, and you can't really rely on the time, so you need to be top two, and if and if it's it's always six seven really really good paddlers at worlds in the semifinals so you you have to you have to step on it if you're going to get there and i managed to get there and i remember i was so happy because basically that was that was me that was the spot to the olympics and i just had to not come last the next day or the two days after but i was so happy with that performance i, I couldn't sleep i was just smiling all all day all night and sort of taught me the lesson that you can't really race that well if you're too happy because <laughs> clearly i had i had some speed but but i was just i just achieved my goal already and surprised myself so i couldn't i couldn't re uh, 
uh, I couldn't put myself back together to to race a, a good final, and I and I clearly just met the lowest bar and and qualified the boat, but that was that was it. That, so I, I think that's a that's a breakthrough race for me, and and some a race that I will always remember. It was probably the best I ever done, and that's you know I continued paddling ten years after that. So was that the World Championships in two thousand and three? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I know you went to your first Olympics Georgia. in Sydney. Um, yeah. What was it like going to your first Olympics uh, in Sydney, being part of that, that team? You, you would have been, what were you, probably 20 when you went to your first Olympics? Yeah, 21. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Uh, I'd say it was the best Olympics. Uh, I think it was really cool. Australia is such a good sport, sporting country. And, and I think when you do something for the first time, you look at it with, with different eyes, like everything was the best and the biggest and the you know, most exciting that it, it it could be. It was, and it was cool to do it with my friends and, and we stayed in the Olympic village, you know, like everything was so fresh and we were just excited. And, and I, and I thought that, you know, I thought that was the top of my career. I thought, I thought that was, that was going to be it because I just started university and I thought I was going to, you know, I was pretty happy with that achievement to make the Olympic team. And, and you know, we made the final and, we we were we were all right we weren't that amazing but you know pretty pretty cool experience to have as a as a young athlete i guess and uh, yeah so yeah that's definitely a, a highlight and what what events were you competing in um through your olympic career was it was it the 500s was it the thousands like which which events were you really focusing on well i was focusing i've always focused on the ones where i think i can do my best results so uh, the first one, it was it was the four four man thousand meters. That was it was the only option for the four man boat. And then and then I was pushed into the K1 at the next Olympics. <clears throat> not not by choice. I, I didn't. I wasn't ready to to race well. I had no chance against those boys, and I I just made it to the semifinals. And I mean, I, I was pretty happy to race the Olympics, of course, but they're never going to be truly competitive. Uh, I, I could have I could have an amazing race if I if I got real lucky, but I wasn't stable at the top level, which you need to be if you're going to really compete with the big boys. And then uh, 2008, I thought I had a, a really good shot in the K1. I, I've, I've been pretty 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 good leading into it. I had some some medals at European Championships before, and and uh, I had a I made a false start in the in the final and got a little bit thrown off and ended up going a bit too fast, and uh, and then blew up a little bit towards the end. And I mean, I remember it's such a tight race. It's, it's it's all guys basically within you know a few seconds. It could be two two three seconds one to nine. So if you don't do a, a perfect race, it's 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 all over. And then for my last Olympics. Uh, it changed. Uh, my favorite event was the 500 meter, where where I think I had my best chances, and that got replaced by 200, where I was a little bit too slow. And and 500,000 uh, uh, is the race I ended up doing, and it's a little bit too long. Uh, I still do okay, but but not enough to compete with the with the greatest athletes there. So I finished fifth in in that one. And was that which which Olympics do you think you probably raced the best in? I'd say the last one, uh, twenty twelve. Yeah. Uh, it was it was an awesome performance and a and a good race. It's just that I was up against uh, better guys uh, on that distance. 
um, I'm really pleased with that performance and, and the lead up to it. It was amazing. I, I, that's the best I ever been. So it, it was, it was, it was really cool. And, and, and I knew I was never going to, going to win it, but, uh, I, I thought, you know, what, what alternative do you have? You just got to give it your, your everything. And, and I remember setting personal bests, you know, right when you wanted to going into it and, I prepared with the Australian team with uh, uh, Ken Wallace and my my good friend Adam and Coverden, and we were all doing really really well. So uh, those guys both ended up with medals, so it's pretty cool to see, and and it's cool to be part of that group too. And and uh, I wish I could have joined them on the podiums, but uh, but I'm, I I remember crossing the line that I was really happy with my race, and and that was that was what I had. So so that's. Uh, I was okay with that. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess if you've done your best performance at the end of the day, that's all you can really do. And if you've gone out there and done your best, you've you executed your race plan and you feel like you're coming away having a, a, an excellent performance in the bank, whether you got a medal or not, you've, you've won because you've got through the process and you've done your best performance. Like I'm looking at your best time here for your PB for K1324. Was that done in that Olympic year or was that done the year before? No, it's in, it's in the Olympic year and... And I remember uh, we've both been coached by, by Jimmy Owens, you and, you and me. So I remember giving uh, Jimmy the shirt that I had that day when we did the, the time trials. I wrote the time in the, in the wash label and, and, I, and I'm pretty sure he has it still. Uh, we, I'm going to fact check on that, but I think he has it. <laughs> yeah, you chase him up and make sure he has, still has that shirt. Um, but yeah. like you talk about the boys early in the day, um, like going into your first Olympics, you raised the CAFO with the boys. You had like a good training environment um, in Sweden with, with the club, with the community there. Who were the guys that you're actually training with and, and really supporting each other to get to that Olympic stage? And what, what was their influence on your career? Yeah, it's, it's, there's a few people there, but it's, it's really... It's really Adam and Kubert, and that's my my main training buddy. And it's funny how it started. We we just happened to be in the same training camp location in Florida. Uh, you know, that's 1999, so about 150 years ago. Uh, we uh, we uh, we joined up with workouts with two of our legends. Actually, it's this it's a bit nerdy here, but it's uh, it's a Norwegian paddler named Knut Tolman and a, and a German paddler named uh, named Lutz Livovsky, who also happened to be training in Florida. So we were sort of sitting on one side of each of the canal there and we were trying to keep up with these, these, these super fast men. And we were just little boys. And then, you know, from that day, I remember us, you know, meeting sort of the first time on the water, not on their level, but we sort of started training together and then we became really good friends. And then to that mix, to that friendship, we, we later also added Ken Wallace, who I've been training, you know, uh, uh, so much with. I, I don't even know, but certainly with with Adam, it's um, it, we, we we basically lived together for for many years and and pushed each other like crazy. It was it was a pretty pretty tough tough. We 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 did it by, you know, I would. I don't know. It's, it's a big, big claim, but I think we outgrinded most of the competition just by hard work. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's. I don't know. That sort of worked for us, I guess. 
Yeah, I, I know you've had a strong relationship with Adam and, and Kenny. And I, re I remember seeing it even down when I was down at the QIS there when you were coaching. And it was, yeah, it was nice to see that you guys had gone through so much of your career together. And how, how was it obviously training with them and competing against them as well at the same time? Was it, was there a friendly rivalry there as well? Or was it like, I know leading into the events where you're getting all serious with each other, but you'll obviously be able to relax. Like what was the vibe like between you three? Because obviously you're talking about the 2012 Olympics, you got Adam and Kenny are getting medals and you get fifth. And is, is there like a internal rivalry as well that you're talking about, even though you're friends and they're the guys pushing you to the next level? Yeah, I mean, yes, of course, if uh, there's rivalry, but I think if you ask Kenny and Adam, it'd probably be worse between the two of them, and I, I can sort of just relax a little bit. Maybe that's why I got fifth and they get the, the medal, but um, I think, um, I don't know, I always look at it as I have my own lane. It's not a it's a non-contact sport, and I'm just trying to do, do my best, so... Um, if we help each other to to be better, we, we were always going to beat someone else, uh, I thought. And if we don't work together, maybe that person has a better chance of beating both of us so, or, or the three of us. So so that's that's like a basic principle that we used. And uh, and of course, you know, we were successful many, many times and we were on, shared a lot of podiums together too, which is, you know, some of the coolest things that I've experienced in sport. I don't think... You know, it's it's like your friends, but I don't know. It never really stressed me out to 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 know how much we train together. Or, or uh, on the day, you just get it back yourself and and think that you that you have it. Sometimes you you know that you will, and sometimes you know that you won't. But you still it doesn't change that you're gonna give your your everything anyways. And how important are those relationships to be able to push you to the next level? Like, do you think you would have been able to be as successful in your career? Uh, without a training a strong training group like that like do you think that that training group really pushes you to the next level like I know I've trained with with Kenny and I've, I've trained with Adam luckily like in their sort of I guess their tail ends of their careers and you just like they would never give you an inch like when you're like uh, it's always like whose nose was like a little bit in front and it was just like quite interesting to watch the battles and the internal mindset battles that were going on all the time do you think that really helped you rise to that next level and be able to to become world champion and that type of thing in 2010? Yeah, no, I, definitely. I, I would never have made it without them. And and it's just like a boxing match, really. Like you described, the nose in front. It's like having a good boxing partner. I think it's, it's vital for... It was vital for my success. I, I probably... You know, if I was training on my own, I know some people are, are wired differently and they can do it. That certainly wasn't me. I wouldn't have been able to push that hard that I that I, you know, had to do to get there. I mean, that's the only way I I knew how to get there, and and, and I needed those guys to help me. So, you know, I, and I and I think we have that respect for each other, and I know they would say they would say the same that that it was uh, helping them as well. So I think, you know, give and take, and like I said, I made the best, you know on the day let, let's let's see who's, who's the best and, and but be truly helpful all the way up up till the start line yeah it's super important to have that those good support structures in place to be able to allow yourself to do really well and did you have other people pushing you through that sort of i guess professional uh, paddling career probably between 2000 and 2012 were, were there other people really supporting you what was the swedish canoe kayak team there was was emily 
sort of when did Emily come into your life? Like who was really supporting you outside of those guys and training wise to really make sure that you're performing your best when, when it counted on, on race day? Yeah, I know. I tried to keep a small team. I think a small team is a fast team and I, I kept it pretty tight with, with my coach. I, I had the same coach, uh, I, Martin Hunter. He's an Australian world champion who, who married a Swedish woman, Agneta, who's our most decorated Swedish Olympian actually. Um, so he, he picked me up when, when we came to the senior Swedish senior national team. He was the, he was the head coach of the team and, and when he stepped down from that position, I, I tried to go without him for a little bit, but I, I missed working with him. So I, I, I remember giving him, giving him a call at the final world's prep the first year we, we didn't have him and I asked him if he, if he could help me out. And he, he helped me so much and, and he did it in such a way that he taught me to not need him, which I thought was really, you know, nice. Some coaches are, doing the opposite they they really want to control their athletes and make sure that they do need them but he he taught me everything and, and gave me confidence that i you know I, I didn't need him when he was finished i didn't need him you know i always wanted him there but i didn't need him if, if you understand the difference so so that was that's really cool and, and i mean he's he's still one of my best friends and and uh, and i miss him a lot and i and i tried to talk to him you know, like you said, like like we 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 just throw out random chats, text with each other, and then that's sort of like I I try to keep him as close as I can, but I know he's he's far away. But he certainly helped me all the way through. Yeah. Um. So I I don't know. Like I think I think there's people that come and go through an athlete's career, but if you can, I kind of liked having a the constant support and and he certainly had lots of really good ideas that I never thought about. Uh, I guess Sweden, Sweden is a pretty funny country. Like you, you do everything in the same way. Like it's, it's, it's hilarious actually how, how the culture is, is so, um, like you can walk into any Swedish home and it's, it's basically looks the same and they do the same thing. They eat the same things and they, and they, and they, they do they do very similar things, <laughs> so it was good to get the, uh, another perspective and, and an Australian that, that that shook things up. And I I guess that appealed to me, and and I'm I'm really grateful for 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 everything he did for me. And was he there when you basically started? I guess racing professionally or racing into the Olympics um, in '99. Was he there the whole way through? And when did he stop coaching? Yeah, so he, he was there in '99 when I started, and and I remember he was he was he was hilarious. He was like trying to provoke us a little bit and said that you know you gotta you gotta do this to be good, and we're like no way, and, and you gotta do that to, <laughs> and he's and he's like you know in an Australian direct way, I think it's the nice way of saying it. He was Swedish people are really polite and kind of not say directly what they think but he was he was straight to the point and I think maybe that sort of was a little bit tough for some people but I but I really liked it so so he I can't remember exactly but I think he's he stopped after Sydney Olympics for a little bit and and 2001 I was without him and then and then we were back working together 2002 and from that from there on so it's a I mean a long relationship obviously yeah, and I guess it's really important to have those people that you like working with. And I, I guess it's really nice to see that he was sort of like 
fostering you with knowledge as well and allowing yourself to go out there and do it by yourself. I guess similar in relationship that we had as a, as a coach and an athlete, um, you were so good to me. You spent a lot of time with me, but I, what I really liked about the way you coach was actually, you actually allowed the athlete to sort of be an individual and actually you work with an individual as well, not just that group mentality. And you, I think that was something that I learned a lot from when I came away from kayaks, I was actually able to coach myself and actually do a lot of things myself because it's, it's quite funny. Cause as you've said, Martin allowed you to, feel like you didn't need him and I sort of felt like I didn't need a coach as well after I sort of after I trained with you and like as I go back and I always say to Christy and the people I talk to like you're always my favorite coach and maybe pieces of Martin came out through you in coaching so yeah it's it's, it's quite cool how it goes full circle. Nice Puthi I like it I think if I, I enjoyed working with you too and it's I think I think what we I don't know if if I would answer the question for you I think what you learned is is what you're capable of of doing and uh, mm. and i think you learned that you're capable of doing that with or without people and i think you learned how to set up a positive environment around yourself and trusting that you you, you can do it so so i mean if 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 you 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 said many nice things there and i appreciate that and and it was truly fun and great to work with you and uh, and we we really made some some really good progress over those was nearly two years a year and a half or something like that it was really good times yeah it was really good because and another thing you were the only guy who gave me a chance to like go and learn um okay too and i tell that story remember how i was getting so frustrated because i was never getting opportunities yeah. in boats because yeah. like i couldn't paddle them because i just didn't know what to do and i i was a late starter i think i started paddling at 22 or 23 and all these guys had a lot of experience every time i get in a team boat i'd be terrible and you actually took me out for like a 6k paddle and like taught me what to do a little bit and it just made such a big difference for me so I I just like I liked how you gave opportunities where they probably weren't otherwise going to be given and you sort of took the time and you went out of your way to help me so that's why I always look back very fondly at the time that we spent together yes Booty, for sure but I mean it's pretty pretty easy to to see like like obviously now you're sitting here with lots of medals around your around your neck and and uh and you had some medals before you you started training with us, with us too. But but um, you just needed to to learn those skills a little bit. You you clearly had a lot of positive things going for you. We just needed to find a way to to sort of put that energy in the most, put it in the direction forward as as much as we could. And it's it's, it's difficult. And like you said, you were in that aspect of the sport were a little bit behind, but but you were ahead in many other ones. So. So I mean, of course, that's that's what we needed to do, and and in in a top environment, when you find good talent, you need to look after them. So everyone needs something different, and and you needed a little bit of help of that in that area, and you were so strong in many other areas. So this so was an easy easy thing to do. Uh, I mean, I say easy. It wasn't. It's not easy to anything in sports. <laughs> like it's hard things to do, but but I mean, we we made some really good progress together and, and and i'm really proud that you say that and, and I, I was really proud of what you did and and uh, and what you did in, in the sprint, sprint world it was it was i think i can't remember where you sort of came fifth in k2 or something like that or i don't know we, it doesn't matter uh, we, we fi i finished fifth in the k1000 at nationals that was probably my best um result yeah. and then uh, i think i went away and got i think 
Glenn and I maybe got eighth or ninth in the 23K2000. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the one I was thinking of. You should have said fifth there because that's where I had you in my head. But it doesn't matter. Ah, okay. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's, it was an awesome performance. And, 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 and I mean, I'm sad we, we didn't continue because I'm sure we could have been even better if you weren't too interested in going out in the ocean all the time. Yeah, that was the hard thing. I, I like to have all these different aspects. And I think, well, you were one of the reasons what were keeping me in, involved in the kayaks because I, I felt like you'd, you'd helped me so much. And like the thing that you taught me as well was the, the working on the weaknesses side of things. Like I had a lot of strengths. And I remember another session we went down, um, must have been early days. And I came back after maybe a little bit of a time off out of the kayak and you were kind of like... I don't know if you're like going to be back. And then it sort of took me like two weeks to get my technique back and like get sort of paddling again. And you're like, okay, maybe you can start paddling again. But you sort of like allowed me to work out my focuses as well. But at the same time, yeah, I did love going in the ocean all the time. So it sort of didn't really work out in the end. But I, I really do appreciate all that time that we spent together. And I think I learned so much in that period, which was really, really cool. But sorry, we'll go back to you. I, I did enjoy talking about that. But um, so <laughs> through your Olympic career, like were you racing like as an, as an Olympic athlete, you're sort of racing in these quad cycles, you're racing every four years, you're sort of building up and, and coming down, building up and coming down. How did you deal with that mentally? Like, were you still focusing hard on each and every world championships that you went to? Like, I know a lot of the Olympic athletes go to say like 2000, 2004, and then they have like that down year the next year and then they gradually build up towards the next uh, Olympics. Was that something that you were doing or were you just, every year you just go out there and do your best. Cause that was something that I struggled to comprehend as well. When I was in the, in that world, in that Olympic sort of cycle for only three years or whatever I was in, it was hard for me to not be able to go and race my friends every weekend or race for an international event. Like how did you control your mentality to be able to perform when it counted each and every four year cycle or just at that world championships once a year? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think I, I sort of took every year seriously. <laughs> I, I never thought I had the luxury of, of like relaxing. I was always rushing to, to improve. And I, and, I, and I looked at those opportunities where people were sort of like taking it more easy as an opportunity to take a, take a step forward. And uh, I don't know, I, maybe it's a better strategy to co calm down a little bit, but I, I never did. I, I always looked at a world championship as a world championship. and. And win or lose, it was going to be worth as much to me uh, if it, no matter what sort of number, number of what, where it is in the sequence of, of the, the championships. Obviously, the first ones are easier. I think it's natural because people retire after, after the games in general. That's when the people time it. And maybe, you know, sub funding is, is a bit different for some, some people or, or sponsorships is, is different. So maybe that impacts uh, how people can afford to prepare or how they choose to prepare or, you know, they've been, you know, they prioritize other things in life like business or, or school or whatever it might be. So, so yeah, I think the quality goes down, but, but never in my mind was it any different. I, I was always giving 100%. And you speak a little bit about sponsorships there. Did you have good sponsors throughout your career that were really helping you get to events, um, sort of live, live as a paddler and uh, use that as your job and really work properly towards your goals? Or did you have to work on the side as well? Uh, towards the end, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, certainly in the beginning, it was not as good. I remember 
uh, I got paid when I was in training camps or not paid. I got everything paid for. So I tried to be in training camps as much as possible to sort of fund my, my living, <laughs> yeah. but that's, that, that changed. And, and towards the end, I mean, I made like a normal, normal salary paddling when I was super happy about that. So I think, um, nothing's given to you. You have to work hard for that too. And, and, um, I was lucky to have one of my friends helping me a little bit to, to search for and make contracts for me. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, the last five years was, was really good. And, and the first 25 wasn't, wasn't as good, <laughs> but, but, you know, like, um, you, you know, as well, you do, you, you do a great job with your partners and, and, uh, and uh, and I like what you're doing with your brand, and and that's something that I tried to do myself. I I started my own brand as well, and because I thought I would, I'm charging all these people to to sort of use me to drive their brand or their business. So I I tried to test the value of my own brand by 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 doing it for myself, and and that was a good good education in in how you do things and and sort of the power of uh, of your image or power of 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 the perception of who you are and, and what you stand for so that was a good lesson yeah i it's funny i remember so many different things that you told me when we were in our period together and i remember you were saying that uh, i wish i started my brand earlier when i was in my career or i wish i didn't name my brand after myself because then it would last longer after i finished paddling can you go into a yeah. little bit of detail about why why you think that yeah no i I'm, I'm, I think my, my business started from a, I was interested in branding. Uh, I mean, it's pretty easy to see that uh, I, I, have a, I have a small clothing brand, for those who don't know, uh, that I've had for, for the last 10, 12 years now. And it's, called, uh, uh, it's still sort of like... It's called AG79. That's it. Yeah. So that's, that's how I know how old you are. I know it's 80, <laughs> 80, 80, 89, AG 89. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. Uh, I mean, the name is, is pretty s stupid, but, but it is what it is. And, and, it, and it wasn't, meant, it wasn't started as a, as a, as the clothing label, which, which I, I would say it is now. Uh, uh, it was started to, I just made some, some shirts to give to people that supported me or people that, that helped me. And then uh, they started wearing them and people started asking for them. So then I was like, okay, I'll make some more and I sell them. And then it was quite, quite good actually for a few years there. And, uh, but yeah, no, I wish, I wish it had a different name and was named something else. Cause was, I mean, it's kind of weird to, I mean, there's a lot of brands out there that are attached to, to a person or attached to, to, to a name, but I would have been more comfortable with, with something different. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think, I don't know. I think it's kind of different because like a brand name doesn't really represent what the brand represents. Like it's just a name. The brand is more yeah. about like who the person is who wears the brand and what they're like, what they're representing, whether that's ocean, whether that's passion, whether that's um, racing hard or whether that's determination. Like I think a brand name is just a name. It's more about like what, 
it represents like you look at something like nike like nike like what's that that's like a greek god or something like that that he yeah. walked through athens and he saw phil knight saw that and he was like oh that's a great idea for a brand and, and went along with that but <laughs> didn't actually mean anything at the time like there's no like meaning really behind a brand. It's more about what the brand represents. And I think your brand still represents what, what you did throughout your career, which was obviously be passionate, be determined and be consistent throughout your performances. And I think that's what people respect. And that's what, when you were getting those shirts and people coming up to you wanting to buy them off you, like that's what they wanted to represent as well. And I think that's, there's so much value in that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm quite proud of the, the little symbol or the logo. I'm, I'm super happy about that. So, that's and and like you said, I tried to charge it with with all those good things that you just mentioned, and I think I think making the most out of what you have is is sort of like the essential what it comes down to, and like living in the moment and all that sort of good stuff. And and I think if you do that, you're never gonna lose in in life if you if you just you know. And I think I actually remember now when I say it, that's something that you said. You just you just want to have fun, and and I mean sure like i think if you have fun you, you're going to do well no matter what it is so so i mean it's and it certainly looks like you're having fun right now boothy and i and i wish you i just want to see you race again i want to see you go out there and and, and smash it yeah I, I do want to race again as well but i kind of am enjoying the little bit of downtime i, I sort of was a bit annoyed at the, at the start like i think everyone you sort of get there and you sort of feel sorry for yourself and you sort of then you realize that there's nothing you can do about it. you go glass half full and you try and make something out of it and now going forward it's just when i get to race again it'll be more exciting i probably have more drive to go out there and race again because after a while you sort of you, you add up the years and you're like i haven't really stopped since i was I don't know, a kid, you know, like I, there was never a year where I went, oh, I'm not going to race this year, you know, like there's always a internal drive in me, I guess. And that's something that I've always loved to do. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's the huge traveling component to that as well. So it's probably quite nice to, to ground yourself a little bit. And um, yeah, I, I remember not being excited to go to some events towards the end. And I mean, that's not a good sign when you're, I mean, if you've been to the same race race course 10, 15 times, I guess it, it wears off a little bit, but, but I mean, that's, that's not why you're excited, but it's, it's, it's certain, it certainly helps if you, if you go somewhere new and it's, it's fun and exciting. Yeah. That's, what's been really exciting about doing stand up or ocean ski or even kayaking for a period of time. It was always going to somewhere new and it was trying something different. It was seeing different cultures. It was enjoying different foods or wines mm. or, um, mm. whole different experiences and that was something that I really enjoyed doing and that's something that keeps driving me back so I can't wait to get back out there and race again but I guess you've just got to take things as they are I'm getting I, I get to go down to the southwest and uh, go surfing which I've never been able to do in May like normally I'm away from April you know so it's, it's, it's just, just taking diff things differently and just working out the opportunities that are there when you have them like I guess when you went to sailing uh, I I was we were obviously co you were coaching me at that time still at the AIS or the QIS, I think it was at the time. And I remember being there on the boat and sitting here like an hour after the session talking about like what's going on and what we were going to do and like what I was going to do. And then like the next week you were pretty much left. And I was like, okay, I'm finished now too. Like, that's enough for me. Like I was sort of felt like I was, we were training together. And then when you finished, I was like, okay, that was probably the only thing that was keeping me in the sport because I, I felt like we could have done something good together, but there was all these other opportunities sort of banging it down on my door. And that's what I wanted to chase. But when you were doing, when you got that first, like, idea to go to america's cup like where did that come from and why did you want to do that um 
I don't know. Like, I, I guess I wanted to compete and uh, brings it back to what we said in the beginning. I wanted to to do something very difficult and challenging again. And I, and I thought I saw an, an opportunity to, to do something. I, I sort of looked at it for many years and, and then I, I figured out that, hey, maybe I'll, I'll give them a call and, and see if there, there could be an opportunity for me to, to do this. Um, I mean, why not? It's like foiling sailboats that go as fast as the car on the highway. It seems pretty cool to me. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and obviously so much to learn. And, 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 uh, and the appeal of sailing is, is the combination of technology um, with speed. It was like going skydiving every day, basically. And those boats were so fast and so crazy. Um, they still race around, so you can watch them in Sail GP, which is now canceled but or postponed. But, I mean, the boats are still there, and they're still some of the coolest boats ever ever made, I think. So that was, I mean, just the, the chance of touching one of those things was enough to, to sort of chase it. Yeah, for but sure. I, I must say, I must say, I miss, I miss, I miss you and the boys. We had such a good, good team there. It was, it was, it was not like, it was not without being sad. I left you guys because, because we had a lot of fun and and we were doing so good. So, so that was that was a highly motivating environment for sure. Yeah, it was a, a great environment that we were like. I was lucky enough to be a part of. Like, you had so many good young fellas coming through. I think you had like Jai Duffy, uh, Bill Bain, uh, Jordan Wood um a whole bunch of uh joel, joel mckitterick obviously the headwind king i remember paddling against him and he's always trying to smash me up into the headwind i was he used to always drive me insane but yeah there's such a good environment to be a part of and we actually just really enjoyed just getting out there and smashing each other and just enjoying the whole process and i think that was something that you sort of fostered really well and i really enjoyed being in part of that environment for that period of time and what was it about so you finished kayaking in 2012 um you sort of retire after i think is it london 2012 yeah, I continued one one year after that, but I really retired 2012. I just kept going because I didn't have anything better to do. So it was like a half-hearted year where I sort of like wrapped things up. And and how did you get involved in coaching at that stage? Like, was that something that you thought you always wanted to do or was it just something you fell into after having that relationship with the Australian Canoe Program? I know you're going out there for a lot of the summers throughout your paddling career. How did that come about? Yeah, no... Um, I had two I had two options that I was sort of choosing or formulating during my last year. One of them was to to start a marketing agency with a friend, uh, and she she now has a successful business marketing locations. So that, I thought that was pretty interesting. And then through my relationship with Australian Canoeing, uh, Jimmy Owens uh, uh, presented me with a potential opportunity of to come work uh, with him and. And he's he's truly one of, if not the best coach I I ever seen in action. So so, and I love Australia and and everyone there. So so that was yeah that option won in the end, and and I'm happy happy with that decision. But I mean it wasn't it wasn't something that it that I sort of like planned from years and years that it was going to happen. But yeah, who knows? Maybe I would have been a good marketer for 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 cities or areas as well, but I'm, I'm happy I choose to be a coach. Yeah, I'm sure you would have been good at anything that you did, uh, given your work ethic and your drive, but um, getting involved in coaching, that must have been a successful opportunity. Now, I know you're coaching as well uh, with 
Canada Canoe Kayak. Um, I think you're doing five years or something there. I think you got contracted for. I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but um, what's it been like, obviously, coaching up there? I know Emily's from Canada originally. What's, what's that been, whole process been like? Yeah, I know uh, the Canadian team is a different challenge because I'm head coach for five disciplines there. So, so that's just me searching for another more complex thing. Um, trying to do what I did with you guys, but for, for a lot of people, it's a, it's a really big team. So like I said, five disciplines. Uh, it's, it's somewhere along the 50, 60 people with a lot of support staff and different coaches and uh, structures. And so it's, it's, it's a really difficult challenge to create fair opportunities that brings out the best of everyone and sort of elevates people beyond what they think is possible. I, th I think that's, that's the mission, you know, make it fun for everyone, uh, but also make sure that you, you like let people be as good as they can be for such a big group. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's been very difficult and, and now I'm on, on leave and I'm just in an advisory role to, to the team. Now I, I, I talk to them. I talk to my old boss, uh, and uh, and the office pretty much uh, i don't know almost daily still but yeah. uh, but uh, yeah no so i look forward to to come back to that because i'm i'm going to step right in right in back after after the america's cup into that role again and america's cup really driving you to go back this year so what what did you like in 2000 and what was it 18 was it the last one you raced in 35th America's Cup, was that 18? Uh, yeah, 17, I think, it, or something like that. It's, it's, and what was that What was that whole process like? Is it's completely different. As you say, it's the fastest boats on water. It's exciting. It's amazing technology. It's huge teams. It's big money. It's it's just like a whole different world. I, I watched it because I, I'd never watched it before, but you and Kai were in it and grinding. He was grinding for, I think, the American team, and you were grinding for the Swedish team. And I just had a, I had a sudden interest in it because you guys were involved. So I was like, okay, let's see how their their journeys go. Um, how was it for you, obviously, to go from kayaking? You're sort of in a team environment, like obviously paddling with different guys, but you're a very individual sport, uh, even though you were jumping in K4s and K2s and those different things. But now you're in a complete team environment. Like you're, everything's based around the team. You've got different people, different um, maneuvers you've got to learn, all this different stuff because you haven't really been a sailor. But what was it, yeah, what was it like? I uh, I don't know, but if you picture a boat is like screaming down the race course on this like flimsy little foils. I know you do foiling as well, so you know the sensation. And but this is a massive thing, and you have to run across to the other side of the yacht. And in that moment, when you run across, nothing can go wrong, right? And you have to trust that the guys that check the boat in the morning. You have to trust the guys that made the calculations on how strong everything is. You have to trust the guys doing the job in the transition as you're running, like you're leaving something, someone else is about to run as well. We're running at the same time with you. The boat still needs to fly. Everything needs to work. Uh, so that's, that's how, that's how teamwork, that's what teamwork really looks like. It's, it's not one guy crossing the boat. It's like a hundred people that need to do their job. Right. So, I mean, sure, that's, that's really different and, and, and pretty exciting when it, when it really works. And, yeah, I mean, it's easy to say that that's the coolest thing. I don't know if it is the coolest thing, but, but it certainly was up there. And, and, it's, and it's, 
I don't know who doesn't like speed, I guess. And it's, <laughs> and doing it together with so many, it, it was an ex- amazing experience. And what's the process like getting onto the, onto the start line in 2017? Like what was like, how much testing did you guys do? How much training were you doing? How much like time and effort went into it? Like were you getting up, like you're a professional athlete still getting up at six, going training, doing like team meetings all day and then training at night. Was it something like that? Or was it, like, what was the process yeah. like? Yeah, no, the, it's it's the same with this team as it was with the other with the Swedish team. I guess we sailed a bit more with the other team because the boats were uh, a bit further along. This 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 class that we sail now is just so crazy. So it's it's so hard to get the boats right that we spend a lot of time developing and then sail a bit less because just we can't because we're trying to figure it out. But but yeah, no, we. The sailing team starts in the morning, same as uh, any other sports team, and they have a trainer and they have, you know, a physio and everything like that. So you start with training and then you have breakfast and then you have a briefing of what you're going to do. And then you, you, you sail all day, ideally. And then, uh, and then you look after your equipment and you do a debrief again after the, after the sail. And, and sometimes you, you, you have to do another workout. So you probably look at maybe 10 up to 10 hours in the gym most like that that would be the most that you do uh but yeah some, somewhere you know like depending on how much you sail because it's really physical to sail and uh the longest works the longest session you do would be somewhere around four hours because you have uh, substitute guys that come in and, and sub you out but but the blocks in sailing are sort of like depending on what you do most of the time you do testing because you need to, to validate uh, a change uh, towards known data or, or whatever it might be, a new piece or you change something and you just have to do test runs and, and sort of both speed is everything. That's what's going to win you the, the race. So you have to, to check that and that's, that's, that's the game basically. So that's what you do all the time. Um, so you may work hard for 20 minutes and then you, you, you sit down for a little bit and you do another 20 minutes. So in those four or five hours, it can be, it can be very long days. Um, it, it, you can literally be out there all day. We bring, we bring lunch with us and we have, you know, like, <laughs> cause it's, it's such a big operation to get, just put the boat in the water. I think it's like 50 people that, that, you know, come out and do their thing. And then, and then you, you just, I'm lucky to be the one that gets to play with the toys, but then I also have to be the one that puts it in after, but that's okay. But it's, um, it's certainly a professional environment and it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of cool because you can't expect the sailors to, to be as working as hard as a, an Olympic athlete in like kayaking wood, for example, because then they're not, then they're too tired to, to sort of learn and evaluate and help everyone else to squeeze out the most out of the boat. So you still got to leave a little bit of room to, you know, be most of these guys are really, really smart. So they, so they just got to leave a little bit of room for that to, to help the design team and the engineers and whoever it might be. Yeah. Cause you're constantly making adjustments. You're constantly trying to make the boat faster. And as you're talking about like making the data better and it must be like a quite a t- massive jump up for, I guess, from kayaking where you had, I guess, one boat every four years and you probably use the same paddle the whole way through your career to like changing yeah. things all the time, getting a whole new system of boats. So like you're racing a, like a catamaran style foiling boat in the 35th 
um, America's Cup, and now you're racing a, I think it's a single hull with like a yeah. dagger ball, like you sort of have different dagger boards off the side, they swing off the side, and then you have the one yeah. on the back, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, sort of, it, it's, it's crazy. We have, you know, like we, we get terabytes of data from the boat every day, and, and we have, you know, the team is probably 140 people for one sailboat, so you, you understand that there's, and you're, you're surrounded by, you know, the smartest guys in the industry. And from other industries as well, we have we have uh, flight engineers and F1 engineers that uh, or designers that come and, and help us because I mean they like a new challenge as well and 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 uh, in in a way we're just flying you know as as a foil works it's the same as an airplane wing so so uh, so I mean like you we compare it to paddle sports I mean you need you need an an enormous amount of money to do it on this scale but but it's there's a lot of things that you can learn and take with you and sort of scale down and, and that you can do uh as a waterman there's there's things that you can do and i i kind of enjoy that aspect now too as as you know sometimes it's overlooked the the little advantages we can get by by being more deliberate about our equipment or 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 how we do things or you know how we structure things or there's, there's a lot of things that we can make us better athletes uh we're often rewarding hard work and i was certainly one of them that just just focus on hard work and, and there's that that will always be number one and it should always be number one because but you can if you find energy to supplement with with uh with being a bit smart too and, and learn about what you do and, and how you do things I mean, I think that's what can make could be the difference maker and, and separate you. Uh, I, I can't stand people cheating, but I, I can't stand people cheating. Period. But but being smart about what you do is is allowed, and you can, you know, look after your equipment or or do whatever it takes. I mean, that that's that's winning to me. So so that's that's something that you learn from from these sailing teams, and then that's something that I, that I try to take back with me to the teams that I work with. Yeah, it must be a really different scenario, but the same in a way because you've been an athlete for 25 years, I guess now, and there's must be certain things you take away from your kayaking career and you bring into the sailing environment. There's certain things I'm sure you're learning each and every day, just getting out there. So I guess for me, like what, what are like maybe like three things that you've brought from, say you like your mentality in kayaking to the sailing environment. And what are the three biggest things you probably learned from um, in this new sailing team environment? I would say, um, sounds weird, but collaboration, I think. It, it's, it's, it's really difficult to organize uh, a team like this. So I'm trying to learn how, how that's done. It's, it's a mix of cultures to start with. It's a, mm. big, it's a mix of uh, that everyone thinks that their area is, is priority number one. So, so sort of trying to, to, to collaborate and, and really like prioritize the right things what is going to make the biggest difference and, and start there and not go and, and also the balance between um finding or searching for things that you're not sure what they're going to give you and knowing when to pull the plug on something because because maybe you'll find something amazing because you want to go somewhere where no one else has have been before and like you said the boats that we we are in right now no one's ever done it before so so if you limit yourself you won't win 
but if you go too crazy you're just going to waste a lot of time and, and 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 while you could have been working on something else so so that's i mean that that's applicable in in any environment yeah it's sort of like i don't know what what you call it but you just gotta you know be a realistic of, of what you can do but not limit yourself for what you can do at the same time yeah on a very smaller scale i do that with starboard now we're doing designs and we go over there and design the race boards constantly changing things constantly getting data from the boards and trying to make sure that they're going faster or quicker or more stable or all those simple things that you've got to try and make sure that you're magnifying but at the mm. same time you've got to make sure that you're not wasting too much time on it and if something's not working like we when i'm designing a board i think or I, with the team obviously there's a fair few of us who do it and then we design a board it was just terrible and we're just like okay spin go back to what we were doing before and just like <laughs> i'm sure you guys go through that all the time with like because you basically get specs and then you just have to design something don't you and then you got four years to design it four years to make it as fast as possible then you get on the start line you do the pre-races and you do the race and you got to see if you're the best like i saw that team museum i had uh bike riders or something in their boat and nobody else did and that was sort of like one of the defining factors of the, the whole event last time in the 35th and that's been changed now for the 36th as far as i know what was that like going into that and going ah oh, why didn't we think of that or was it is it that oh maybe they shouldn't be doing that like what was the like the thinking i guess in the the bubble of the america's cup yeah no we we thought about it and we had uh, we modeled it and we we decided that it, it wasn't going to work so i guess we were we were wrong yeah um, um i think what what made them win were two other things that was hard to see they had interchangeable tips on their on their foils they had uh they had a, a metal rudder that was a higher aspect, so so skinnier, uh, thinner, and and skin. Yeah. Uh, we build it in carbon, uh, but also their flight system. That that was partly the bikers. So so they had a flight control that was controlled by the hands uh, all the time by one of the bike riders. Sort of managing the control of the yeah. foils, which made the, 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 the how much flight you were getting. Yeah, so it made it very stable. As, as we had the helmsman doing it, who the one who's steering the boat, who obviously had a lot of other things to, to do as well. So made it a, quite difficult compared to having one guy just focusing on, on the flight. So, yeah. So, I mean, pretty cool, cool learnings there. And, and I mean, we, we were impressed when we saw them because we hadn't really seen much about them. And, and we, we certainly saw how quick they were. So. Uh, they were they were a better team and we were we were i mean we would have been needing a lot of luck or a lot of specific wind that was sort of a favorite for us the small wind tar wind windows uh maybe we would have had a chance but but they were they 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 nailed it and 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 that's why we come back again to try and beat them this time yeah absolutely so is it the same team that you're with now in the 30s it's just a different name or is it um something that are a completely different team and environment it's a completely different team so it's kind of cool I'm, I'm quite proud of it actually it's this is a an american team that i have a swedish team i had an advantage of carrying a swedish passport because they need swedish nationals on the boat and and obviously they don't need swedish nationals on an american boat so, so i'm quite proud of, of making this team and and uh i mean it's it's uh, yeah, it's a privilege to to be part of, of something like this. Yeah, absolutely, and it must be inter as interesting. Just like for my mind, you were talking about the New Zealand team had interchangeable foils, and so you were only running one foil system for the whole event. 
Now, um, it's, it's, we're getting to rules here. We had two different foils. Um, uh, well, big, big, big and small foils, like high, high wind or, or low wind. Uh, and you were allowed to change a certain, certain percentage of the foils. Uh, it's really like strict rules, but they, they were so clever that they could change the tips of the foil and still stay within the, the limits of the rule. So they sort of could adjust the foils to suit a wider range, depending yeah. on what that day looked like. So that was quite clever and, and something that we didn't think about. Yeah, because it's, it's interesting because I've just been testing a whole bunch of downwind foils here in Perth and surf foils. So like, it's quite interesting for me because like when, you're, when we're, when I have like, I, don't know, I had like eight different wings I was testing and some you're just like, whoa, and it'd be like the smallest change you made and I just like couldn't like stand up on it. Then like you'd have one that's like maybe like yeah. less lower, like a bit more lower aspect or higher aspect or a bit wider or yeah. a bit straighter at the front, like all these different things or widths and just, yeah, it's really interesting for me. That's why I asked the question. It's not because um, yeah. I'm, I'm getting uh, through. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible thing to watch as well. And, and I watched this, a bit of the Sail GP last year as well and watching those guys go around Sydney Harbour, I think it was. And that was just cool yep. to watch. And there's just like so many different facets of sport. And I guess, did you think that you'd be racing or competing or like being an athlete at, at 41, I think it is now? Um, or was it just something that you're spelling to you and you have that competitive drive that you continually want to succeed? Is that still in you and you really want to like win now still? Well, I, I'm here because I want to win. That's, yeah. That's. Uh, I think. We, I think we have a. I think we have a small chance, but I think there is a chance. So, I'm. Uh, I'm like just. I just go for it, and and I. I guess I just put my foot forward and and prepared well for my for my tests here, as physical tests to to join the team, and and uh, I don't know. Like I train very. Uh, I don't know, strict, I guess. I, I, I push myself really hard and I look after myself with nutrition and, and all that uh, as well as I can. So I'm, I'm holding up really well against my, my sailing friends. So, um, I mean, I won't be the one that slows the boat down, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, having that self-accountability and making sure that you're doing the best for the team the same way that you're doing your best for the kayaking career that you had and the amazing one that you had. We didn't really touch on the kayaking career too much. So we went like, so basically you started off in 2009, went through to 2007. And then about 2008, you started to get your better results. Like you became two-time European champion. You, became, you had four silver medals in the European championships as well. Um, you were world champion in 2010. So what was it about that period, that four year period, like I guess leading into your final races that you really thought was starting, everything was starting to click for you? Like what, what do you think was like the biggest changing factor in that period? And why do you think you started to perform so much better at that point? I think a, a little bit is compounded effect of, of a lot of good stuff that like just compounds together and, and builds on each other. Uh, I remember making a small change of training slightly um, shorter workouts with a higher frequency. Like they, they were more more of more of them, uh, but they were slightly smaller. If you if you understand what I'm saying, yeah. um, and uh, I don't know, just sort of like I think just being a little bit more mature in in many ways, and and yeah. Uh, I can't tell you. I, I just look at it as many good things 
you know, you, you figure one thing out and you become a little bit better at this and you become better at this. I always look at, at the things that you can improve as little like uh, columns or whatever, like you were talking about your, your, uh, your Xbox game and, and just slowly nudging as many of them up as, as you can. And then at one point uh, I became stable at a high level. So I, I, I didn't miss, I didn't miss the podium because, because even on a medium day, I, I could still compete and, and do well. So, I mean, that builds, I wouldn't say it builds confidence because, because you are confident at that point. I don't know. Like it's just, you just know that you can do it and you know, you prepared for it and, and that's your mental preparation, I guess. But, but just, just slowly nudging those little pyramid, like those little things constantly for years and years and years and years. And then eventually I got there. Yes. Yeah, so that experience and race practice and training practice and all those kilometers that you put into your arms over time and all those different lessons that you've learned over that period really allowed mm. you to sort of be able to perform at that time. So what was your, when you look back, like what was like maybe a couple of your key races where you look back when you're like, that was what I did the best at. Like I know you spoke about the 2012 Olympics. You got fifth, and you said that was one of your best races. Um, you did your PB earlier that year as well. But was there any other key races in your career you look back on? You're like, oh, that was that was a really memorable moment for me. Mm, I don't know. I'm not that good at remembering my races. <laughs> I, I had to I have to look up what positions I came and like. I'm not one of those guys that know like 2012 and. September, I did, I did this, but okay. Well, what about your world? Think, you became world champion in 2010. Let's talk about that one. Yeah, no, 2010 was a good, good race. Obviously, I, I came in feeling pretty confident and and tried to build on on the year before where I got two silvers. So I wanted to trade those two for one gold. Um, uh, I didn't go like I I don't know if it's just something in my head, but my, my race plan was to to flatline the the profile a little bit, so I didn't go as hard as I, I could from, from the beginning and sort of thinking that I have a little bit more in the end. And that's how the race played out too. I, I, I knew that if I stay within sort of a boat length of, of the leaders at the 250 halfway mark, I, I thought I had a good chance of getting them and, and, I, could, and I did and I reeled them in and sort of extended a little bit towards the end. And, and I mean, that's, that's, that's just one of those races. I wouldn't say it was like a perfect race, but it was a, definitely a very, very good race and, and a lot of good things that came together. And that was that your first world championship win? I know you said you got a 2009 World Cup um, overall win, but that was your first individual World Cup win, world championship win? Yeah, that's, that's my only world championship uh, win, yeah. Yeah, so it must, it, you must look back at that and go, that was a, obviously a really cool moment because you did become a world champion. Like it's sort of a lot of years of work that sort of led into that result. And as you say, like in 2009, you had two seconds and you've sort of used that as, I guess, as motivation leading into the next year. Like how important is it to have those results where you probably don't get what you want to be able to fuel, help fuel the fire for that next year? Mm, I think it's, I mean, whatever motivates you, I guess. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's pretty motivating to come close. It's more fun to actually get it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I guess it comes down to to searching for that better yourself every every time in every aspect. And and when when you're that close to being a world champion, why not try and push it a, a step further to to go get it? And and I'm I'm really proud to say that I, I won a world championships, and I'm really proud that I did it. 
um, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a cool thing to do and, and it's really motivating and, but, but it doesn't change much. I still wanted to, to, to be better after it and, and, and continue to, to go faster and, and, and do it again or do something different, different again. So it's very proud, but like I said, it doesn't change much. So throughout your career, what was your main um, focus? Like, was it doing your best? Was it winning a race? Was it um, just competing and getting your best PB? Like, what was it that you were driving? Like, some people just say they, they wanted to have fun throughout their career and experience new things. Some people wanted to win races. Some people wanted to do different things. Like, what was it for you that was it a combination of all those things or was it something, a driving factor throughout throughout your career? I think it was, I think it was that I, I thought I could do something that I, I wasn't doing. So I tried to figure out how I could make myself do it. I don't know if that makes sense, but I always thought that I had the capacity of being really good, but I wasn't. So, so how, how do you get there? Yeah. Like the process that I, that I liked. Yeah. And you just enjoyed the process. You enjoyed working forward and you enjoyed doing that. And you're still doing that now with your sailing, with your coaching and doing all these different aspects of your life. You've got a young family now as well. Like how are you dealing with uh, this COVID situation? You said you're stuck in Florida at the moment. You've, you've done 370 days of your 380 days. It allows you to compete in the next America's cup. Um, what sort of is the next few months lead up for you? And, and do you think you'll be racing at the end of the year? And, and what, how are you dealing with this whole situation? Yeah, no, we're we're quite lucky here. It's uh, we've been on a private beach where I live, so we so I go out paddling every every morning basically, and then I do uh, indoor grinding uh, ergo training in the afternoons, and and we do some weights on top of that. So, and and the rest of the time I just hang out with my family. So that's that's pretty nice. Once uh, um, I get across and take off my residency days within you know the next couple of days i i hope we can drive up north because we have a, a house in montreal uh, where i have you know training equipment in the in the basement so i can continue to do my grinding training there and and uh hopefully go for some paddles too once you pass the quarantine stage and and then sort of just wait out uh when when new zealand decides to open their borders to to visitors or or I don't know. We're we're gonna be visa holders, but once we're allowed to travel, then we'll just head down there. Yeah, it's gonna be a very interesting travel period, I think, for everybody. And what does the next few years look for you? Like, I know you're aiming to do this America's Cup at the end of this year. Um, probably going back to coaching at the the canoe kayak program in Canada. Is that where you sort of see the next sort of ten years? Is, is it being a coach, or are you think you'll do another America's Cup? Like what? How, what is what does the next like five years or so look for Anders? Yeah, no, I know. I first I look forward to see Clara grow up. She's so cool now. She's two and a half, and and she's just learning so many things. It's 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 truly it's truly amazing, and and sort of like just keeping it together for her and make sure that she has the best childhood that she that she can have. I I don't think that I will be sailing again after this because I mean, um. I'll be pretty old by the time the next cup cycle comes around and and I and 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 my strength is to be able to to you know like grind and and keep my head cool and do 
do the, my tasks under max heart rate, I suppose. But but by that time, it should hopefully be other guys that can do it a lot better than I can. So it's probably time to step aside there. And uh, and I look forward to to go back working with the Canadian team and and with the Olympics moved, I I hope I can help them towards Tokyo too. So if that happens, that would be really cool. And then and then we'll see how hopefully that goes well and we, we just can can build on on some success there and, and, and try and improve that. Yeah, well mate, I, I wish you all the best um, for everything coming forward. I, I wish Emily, Clara and, and all the family well and I'm sure you've got so many amazing more things you're gonna achieve and I'm sure you're gonna take that approach that you had throughout your kite career and your sailing career and give that information back to all your athletes. So they're gonna be very lucky to be able to to be coached by you. So I think they got a, you've got a great new new period coming up yeah thanks Boothy and Emily is really keen to to race in the subs too so I hope I can come with her and, and, and see you at some of the races in I don't know where, where it will be but I'm sure it'll be somewhere nice so I look forward to see you soon and and uh, enjoy the time off and it was nice nice to catch up and and uh, yeah, keep keep being strong and work hard Boothy and, you, and you'll continue to stay on the top Thank you, mate. And uh, just thank you to everybody who has been watching these uh, Boothcast on Michael Booth Facebook page. If you want to watch them, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Boothcast, uh, they're all there. So uh, it's been amazing stuff. So many great uh, information uh, getting learned from so many great athletes and business people. So I can't wait to give you some more and I'll see you guys next time. So Anders, thank you again for your time and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. See you guys. Bye. See ya.